and welcome to Sean and Dave Make Music. This month we bring you the third and final installment of our adventures in New York City. Our guest this episode is the brilliant music director, pianist, arranger, and educator Dan Pardo. Dan made his Broadway debut as assistant conductor and keyboardist for the show Amazing Grace and has a huge list of off-Broadway and regional credits including The Office, a musical parody, Found, Rothschild and Sons, Company, Soot and Spit, Skippy John, Jones, Snow What? That last one sounds particularly fun. Um, And another long list. I'll post all of Dan's links so you can check out his website and and all of his various projects on the show notes. Um, But Dan is also a very dear friend of both Dave and I, going back over a decade to our time together at Westchester University. It was a wonderful treat to sit down with him and catch up and create some really fun new music. Hey, guys. So sorry, you can start it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think that's the best intro we're going to get. So yes. hello and welcome to Sean and Dave Make Music. We're here with Dan Pardo, uh, the guest who feels most comfortable to start the show. Thank you. Uh, I don't have to do it. Sure. <laughs> it makes Thank- it easier when we've been jamming for the past like two hours. Yeah. Exactly. I agree. Yeah, we, we always say, we say that like every episode, but we do this in the right order. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it, yeah. Yeah. Um, so Dan is a, a longtime friend of ours, uh, a classmate. We were just talking about our origin story and not being able to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were red pants involved. <laughs> there may have been a flute solo in a chorus piece. We're not really sure. Possibly in Arl's two class. But... Possibly, yeah. <laughs> we'll, give, we'll give the shout out to Adam Silverman that we may or may not have been in his first class. <laughs> But I know I definitely was. I think I was too, but I, I think I, I might have misimagined well, it. I'm, I'm picturing the class. I, I remember him distinctly talking about how a lot of his, uh, this is so tangential. Yeah. Uh, like It's a podcast. A his, We're going to start with the tangent. <laughs> a, a lot of his reference points in terms of oral association comes down to his... Uh, uh, beginnings as a reformed Jew and that liturgical music. And I had a strong connection to that as another reformed Jew who uh, you know, played a lot of liturgical music. And I remember that was in Old Swope. So that must have been first semester. Yeah, that's sort of thing. Yep. That's, yeah, I think for, for whether you were in there or not, it, maybe it's a Berenstein Bear situation where I just imagine you being there. Was, that uh, might be it. Yeah. But uh, for the life of me, I can't remember who I had for Arles too. Okay. But I'm pretty sure. Uh, Adam Silverman was my the first class I had with him. I think was theory four. Oh, okay, I think the first and only. Well, actually, and one other tip of the hat to him in today's today's theme song, you'll hear we feature the Broadway classic Super Sus Chord. There you go. Which <laughs> we learned that title for it from <laughs> the four over five. Yeah, for those keeping track. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, we we just did a whole bunch of stuff. You do so much. How do you? Keep going. Why don't you give a quick bullet point list for the listeners at home? Like, just a spark notes of the eight things that you do. Well, I mean, I'm always hustling. Uh, As a New York based musician, unless you have a a chair at a long running show or a symphony gig, you kind of have to be doing the juggle. Um, So I'm not a composer. Uh, I work with a lot of them, Um, but I do, uh, I'm a theatrical music director primarily, which means uh, I get kind of thrown into these productions and I run the rehearsals and then uh, play either a short run or uh, if it's just a workshop scenario, it would be you know, two or three performances uh, that, uh, for the purpose of moving a show forward. Uh, in the city, I also play for uh, a couple different studios and some educational things. I play uh, 
um, I think it's called Malloy College, formerly Cap 21, and uh, for a private uh, kind of theatrical studio called The Growing Studio, and also through a, a studio run by the amazing Jen Waldman. I play for some tap classes at a place called Shuffles on West 68th Street. I play for some kind of little baby music type things at a company awesome. called Little Maestros. So it's <laughs> there's always many things that are up in the air, plus a lot of freelance work uh, as a copyist and uh, transcriptionist. Um, I'm throwing down some tunes for a uh, um, some writers in the Midwest right now. And uh, we actually opened, this is uh, Sunday we're filming, so on Friday night, uh, a show in uh, Ottawa opened called the hockey sweater that I did the copyist work for. Plus, uh, I'm currently music directing and conducting a run of a Connecticut Christmas Carol up a good speed where I was on staff for three years. So, you know, uh, you just kind of have <laughs> you do to do about everything. It's pretty yeah, awesome. <laughs> and if, if, if three quarters of them pay, you know, that's, you know, it's a good, <laughs> but What's, you said Ottawa, right? Was that, mm-hmm. was that Eli's? No, that was, was that. That was a different thing that I did in Toronto. Oh, okay. yeah. I, this has been like the year of uh, Canadian musicals, uh, which <laughs> which is good because yeah. uh, everyone's very friendly and they pay well. So. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is like is the long term goal to sort of pare that down and get some sort some you know a longer run of something, or do you love just doing everything and like well, the variety? I mean, there's, I think ideally the people who do have long-running shows because they have that security. It gives them then the freedom to do some things on the side. And be more uh, selective with the things that they exactly. do on the side. Exactly, uh, as opposed to trying to you know, you know, grab onto everything just because you need to cobble together a career. Um, I was talking to my friend uh, D.C. Anderson, who was in the Broadway company of uh, Phantom of the Opera for 12 years. And, you know, everyone, when they see that kind of a, a resume item, that's like, oh, my God, what do you do for 12 years? Uh, you know... <laughs> His answer was a lot because, you know, that was kind of his his night gig. And uh, he's a singer songwriter. So he would have the opportunity to to write some songs uh, during his days off and put together a lot of benefit cabarets for, um, you know, uh, causes that were dear to him and collaborate with people uh, in his cast who weren't there for such a long stint of time. And ideally, I would kind of use that as a model to, you know, have a show that I really love uh, that hopefully I had uh, a role in either as an arranger or, you know, writing some incidental music or facilitating in some way. Cause so much of what I love to do is uh, get in with the show on the ground floor and, uh, you know, contribute to its process. Development. And, uh, you know, so to have that type of a show that, uh, you know, feels mine in the sense that gives me the time and the, you know, financial security to do things like my web series or do things like uh, a 29 hour reading that either rehearses during the day and then has a presentation on a Friday afternoon. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. That's a good, a good goal to have. You're sort of waiting for the right thing. <laughs> hey, I mean, right now yeah. I'm just waiting for anything. I'll, t- I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll take whatever uh, comes my way, but you know, uh, for people who are really in demand, you know, they have that, uh, that freedom to be selective. Mm. Yeah, that would be nice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm almost getting to that point with, like, students. I, I, I'm at, like, yeah. almost my max capacity of mm-hmm. private students right now. Uh, I have 45. Oh, my God. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's like I, I'm... Do they th- all meet weekly with you? Or? Most, almost all of them. I have, I think, two, two or three that are every other week. So um, half hour lessons, 45 minutes? Or? Most are half an hour, a couple are okay. an hour, and a couple are 45. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it keeps me busy. Yeah. Um, and so now I'm at the point where I'm like, 
I have a, a few people on my wait list. A few people I've like turned away because like we can't find a time that works, and mm-hmm. I'm like wondering if I can like start swapping people out, <laughs> not like like you know pass off the instruments that I don't want to teach as much as I want to teach the flute to somebody else. And mm-hmm. I forget, don't you work through a parent company of some sort? I uh, I work for three different places. I I teach through uh, two music stores and one music school. Okay. So like there at the music school, it's certainly not going to be possible to do that. They sign up per semester. Yeah, no, I'm just thinking like, I mean, now that you've reached your peak, like it might be next step might be to start just building up privately where you can make double the money and just slowly let that overtake the others. See, I teach, I live in a really poor area and I teach in a really rich area. Oh yeah, but, I mean so, it, would be, it would be driving. Like I would I have do. to. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I I totally don't want to drive to. <laughs> I don't want to drive any more than I already do. Gotcha. So that's yeah. I, I really yeah like I I added one more, one more in home lesson recently and that's worked out fine. But yeah, no, I don't want to do any more driving than I already do. <laughs> My wrists hurt. All right, for our first track of the episode, we have a short bluesy improvisation with myself on flute, Dan on piano, and Dave on bass guitar. This was actually the fifth and final improvisation we did that day, and at the end of this one, you can kind of hear it. I think you can tell. We we sort of run out of steam. Uh, And I considered cutting it a little bit early, but I think we ran out of steam in an interesting enough way to present, so here it is. I dusted off my beatbox flute skills for this one a little bit, but now listening back, I wish I would have committed more. I think I'll have to redeem myself in an upcoming episode with some more beatbox flute. And uh, let's call this one, I don't want to do any more driving than I already do. My wrists hurt. Thank you. 
something I was gonna uh, bring up was sort of balancing like a career and a home life. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, how has that worked? Your uh, your wife is also a musician who we all know very uh-huh. well. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's been hard. Uh, we've been doing a lot of you know distance relationship, and our, our relationship is kind of built on distance. You know, I was on staff at the regional theater in Connecticut for three years and two of the three years she was in Vegas doing her master's degree. And, uh, my hope was that I kind of build these contacts up, uh, and then kind of stay in the city. Mm. And for the first year that kind of worked pretty well, but then I kind of developed some, uh, relationships with people out in Seattle. So I went and did two shows there for kind of two winters in a row and this past summer, I was in Vermont, which was a schlep, but, uh, you know, I had a really great time music directing Fun Home. And this summer before that, I had done this really beautiful production of Company at Barrington Stage, which, uh, oh, Dave came up and saw it. I did. It. it was wonderful. <laughs> and, you know, that's one of Christie's favorite shows. So, you know, she didn't mind me doing that one. <laughs> uh, but the the goal is to do less work out of town. And actually, uh, I don't know if I can make some news here on, par- on uh, uh, do. Sean and Dave make music. Uh, but, uh, we don't know when this is going to be out, so it might, that's okay. new, it might not be new news. Well, that's but. okay. <laughs> um, anyway, I'm, my next project after this uh, Christmas Carol is a production of Working. Uh, it's a show from the early 80s that was kind of helmed by Stephen Schwartz, who did you know Godspell and Wicked and uh, mm-hmm. Pippin and a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, but it's there's some um, other contributing song writers to it. C- Craig Carnelia and James Taylor wrote the song, uh, and it was all the, based on these interviews of people about their their jobs, and they wrote songs about it. And a couple of years ago, uh, Lin Manuel Miranda from Hamilton in the Heights, uh, Moana, wrote a couple songs for a production out in, in uh, London, I think it was. And uh, the uh, there's a, a theater in Connecticut. Connecticut called ACT, a contemporary theater, um, that was started by uh, this man, Dan Levine, and his uh, husband, uh, Brian Perry, who's been the resident music director over at Wicked for the past five years. So obviously they have a a strong connection to Stephen Schwartz. So they're kind of reimagining it again uh, with some new video interviews and footage. Um, So I'm going to be music directing and conducting this production. And Chrissy was just cast as our swing. Awesome. Oh, that's so, awesome. Um, Congratulations to both of you. Thanks. That's, that's so cool. You get to work together on a production. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so that's so. In terms of balancing home life and work life, well, maybe this will be too much. But uh, <laughs> you know, we'll you have to uh, find the different find a different balance. Yeah. But uh, it'll it'll be a, a fun experiment because we've we've done some cabarets before together. Uh, actually, I think I sent you a couple. Yeah. Um, yeah, the maybe cellophane. Yeah, then, yeah. She was also uh, singing on the vocal, uh, the Into the Woods. Yeah, yeah. So that was, um, you know, the the cabaret that we've done kind of twice, once at the duplex and once at a place called Green Room 42, uh, both venues in the city. Uh, it was a group called Ethnic Chameleons that we kind of put together, which, uh, which was four mixed race uh, performers kind of trying to find their place in this uh, cosmetic business that kind of tries to put you in boxes. And so I did all our arrangements and uh, music direction for that concert. Uh, and then we kind of replayed it a couple months later. Um, and so that was fun. Uh, we could just kind of self-produced, but otherwise, uh, you know, we, um, we're both involved with, uh, the national Asian artist project. Chrissy, obviously as a singer and, uh, me as a, a ringer, a music director, a pianist, since I am not of Asian descent. Um, 
but uh, we have a, a monthly cabaret up at Bartalia on 95th and Broadway that Chrissy usually sings for. And uh, there was a, a choir that, that's also affiliated that I uh, ran last term that Chrissy sang in. So Sweet. we try and work together when we can. Yeah, that's great. And hopefully, you know, it'll happen more often yeah. as you get more things local. And mm-hmm. it's great. The, um, just because this is a nice little segue here. You, so you mentioned the Chameleon concert and those mm-hmm. pieces. Um, definitely for something that we're going to play for people to hear. I'll just cue it up now. Mm-hmm. I would love for them to hear the um, vocal arrangement that you did. Of um, it's, uh, The name is slipping my mind, but the, the piece no from Into the alone? Woods. Yeah, No One Is Alone. The harmonies were gorgeous on Thank that. Like, you. that was, yeah, I, I would like you to please send me the PDF so I could learn how to... Do oh, okay. approaching that. That's I'm a yeah, I'm a Sondheim sucker, you uh-huh. know. And uh, but like the way you set that was so lovely. Yeah, I I don't. I'm trying to remember how, that that arrangement kind of kept evolving. I, it started actually as almost an etude. Uh, I was uh, up at my theater in Connecticut, Goodspeed Opera House, and uh, for you know for their off season they have a couple education initiatives and one is called the MDI the music direction intensive and the goal is to get probably about 12 to 18 aspiring music directors in a room and you know learn what it's like to to become one because uh, with very few exceptions and all of those are relatively new there is no training ground for this it's kind of a hands on you know you can't major in theatrical music direction Right now, I think you can get a master's uh, from Penn State within the last five years they started the program. Okay. Um, and, you know, sometimes they have, a, you can get a conducting master's that has like a musical theater focus. You know, CCM has a pretty decent program, and I have a couple friends who have gone through it. But in terms of vocal arranging, running a rehearsal, uh, kind of orchestration and uh, keyboard reduction, uh, mm-hmm. with all other things that we do. Um, working with the director, dance arranging and working with a choreographer, uh, kind of incidental composition as it pertains to uh, transitions and uh, um, underscores. You know, we have, you know, it's an entire week uh, and we do like these little mini projects uh, to kind of give people a taste of what it's like to become a music director. And so this No One Is Alone started out as an exercise, actually. Um, And uh, I envisioned it as kind of like a, a gay man's chorus uh, version of uh, of this, you know, using the text as a uh, as a solidarity piece, and then I actually adapted it, um, expanded it a little bit, and pitched it to uh, Westchester uh, Vocal Jazz to tr- oh, try. And okay. I think I didn't realize they actually performed it until like two years later. This this, <laughs> this was back in like 2013, where I where I did the first draft of it. And I got a message out of the blue on like Facebook Messenger uh, from someone who had had sung it, and mm-hmm. apparently it resonated with them. And he sent me a message. I'm like, "That's awesome! I didn't even know they programmed it. <laughs> uh, glad they let me know." Um, but uh, so it kind of stuck with me. And and then uh, obviously in the context of this ethnic chameleons, you know, there's a lot of fear of you know being the other so i thought that the uh, the song and the text and my treatment of the text uh kind of spoke to that and so i added a, a sparse piano part and obviously changed the key since i rearranged it for satb actually no it was three guys and one girl so it was a um you know s a a 
B ish. You know, <laughs> there, there's a bunch of uh, crossing voices because uh, I composed it. You know, kind of finding voicings that I liked on the piano, mm-hmm. and then trying to work backwards to find things that uh, where the voice leading wasn't too bad. Cool. And here it is. time. Next up, we've got another of Dan's arrangements. This is Coffee Break from Fifth Avenue Theater's production of How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. There's no coffee! There's no coffee! No coffee! No coffee! No coffee! I can't take my coffee break, my coffee break, my coffee break. If I can't take my coffee break, something within me dies.
don't metabolize something within me. Call me or otherwise. Call me or otherwise. Call me or otherwise. Something inside me. Now, going back to the fact that there's no program to teach music directing that blows my mind with such a thriving art form Mm -hmm. right now like classical music is dying everywhere it seems like a little bit at least and or you know or at least losing mm -hmm. its prominence to my can i put forward a controversial idea yeah yeah does there really need to be a music directing production job like or not job um like the program program only because like i feel like in order for somebody to do that job just based on my own personal biases Mm -hmm. i feel like you have to already be a beastly jack of all trades now granted people could Mm -hmm. learn that in a program i think i think it needs to be a master's level program that's what i mean there's so much that that you need to come to the table with already yeah and then also it's something that i feel like it's probably you learn best by starting at the ground level and doing productions and productions and i mean and that's that's kind of how it started uh my mentor i'm uh, sorry just to interrupt you yeah yeah. you could say that counterpoint go ahead any college program couldn't you you probably learned better on if you were just thrown into it and and did the job and they taught you right away maybe not i don't know i mean there there definitely is a an academic baseline that uh you know i think people as a prerequisite should have you know sure you know certain uh, tools already mm -hmm, but certainly for a master's level program and i think this is why uh you know some of these programs are starting to pop up and we'll see, you know, if we replay this episode in three years, <laughs> if now there are a dozen, um, because in terms of commercial music, you know, you know, theater is probably one of the more, you know, dependable, you know, jobs or, I mean, yeah. you know, cause, or even, you know, uh, this MDI program that we did started attracting people who, you know, were, orchestral or choral people but uh you know now they need to run their musical or you know now they also oversee the the musicals at their college or university and um it really is a different or slightly you know off-center set of skills you know Mm -hmm. they're usually um you need to be a strong pianist or have a a staff that has a, a you know a strong rehearsal pianist available there's a lot of demonstration uh, as far as singing goes because a lot of times, uh, you know, the actors are actors first and they don't necessarily read music or read it well. Um, so you have to be able to model effectively. Uh, a lot of times, you know, you're, you get a box from uh, the licensing company, whether it's MTI or Tams Whitmark or, you know, whomever, French. And, uh, you know, it comes with 27 orchestra books and you're told, okay, we have money for seven. <laughs> or, you know, you're, you're given 12 and it's like, okay, let's make this a tight five piece. So, you know, do you just eliminate books or, you know, do you start to write a string reduction or do you yeah. try and take four woodwind books and, uh, you know, pare them down to to one or two and so much of these types of uh things i've learned by first apprenticing and then kind of being an assistant a departmental assistant then assistant music director and now that i'm kind of music directing at some you know regional spaces it uh you know i'm trying to pass off what i've learned along the way but um even just kind of formatting orchestra parts uh to see how orchestrators have done that work Mm -hmm. you know it's 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 really great uh to kind of 
witness that uh, uh, those choices in the in the room and uh, behind the screen. I'm sure it's probably the best way to to learn the way you did it. But if there was a program and it could be, you know, a, mm-hmm. a really would experienced be, yeah. teachers who who have put in the years of time and they could, you know, be well, part it's, of the it's amazing. Crash like course uh, of four semesters, <laughs> there's been some really great alumni for, just from this kind of eight day program that we've done. Uh, the and that's not to say that they wouldn't be where they were if had it not been for this program. But you know. Uh, Ian Weinberger, who's the associate conductor of Hamilton on Broadway, uh, went through our uh, MDI program, as did this guy, Roberto Sinha, who is now on the road with Hamilton. He was the uh, conductor for Kinky Boots on the road for a long time. And, you know, just a laundry list of people who are doing great work, uh, you know, who kind of met and, uh, you know, collaborated for these brief moments, uh, you know. And, and And they met because, as I said, you know, there's no real other place to get it. Yeah. Know? Well, That's, at least there's that. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I mean, I remember like when I first got exposed to a lot of musicals, one of the things that uh, came as a shock to me was that like I had learned like such and such composer wrote the music and then I would listen to it over and over and I'd be like, oh my God, how do they get all these elements? They're genius. Mm-hmm. And they are genius songwriters, mm-hmm. the, one that I, the ones that I, I loved. But then like I learned like, oh, wait a second. If I see any other production of this same music, it's drastically different with, like, oftentimes the instrumentation, like, the orchestrating. It's, like, a whole nother character, and it can be even more effective or less effective or just totally different tone for the show. And, like, I think that's so cool about that medium of theater that, like, you guys really control so much of the tone and the direction and for a listener like me really like what I'm listening for in the first place is far more of what the music director or ranger person is doing. It's interesting because as an orchestrator, um, and I can't speak as an orchestrator firsthand, but uh, I've worked with a, with a lot of them. And when you get the licensing uh, to do, let's say, I'm just looking at this quilt that has a whole bunch of, you know, <laughs> uh, so let's say you're doing, uh, you know, Into the Woods. Uh, I, I, I think that was, was that tuning? I don't know who did the orchestrations offhand. Um, but, you know, you have the default orchestrations that you have to buy as a part of the package, you know, for the licensing, mm-hmm. but you're not contractually obligated to use them. You have to pay for them, yeah. but, <laughs> uh, you know, you know, so you, if you have, for example, an on-staff orchestrator, you know, who does good work, um, for, and, and knows the musicians that you have, you know, on a regular basis, you can craft something that's a little bit more intimate or a little bit more, you know. I think I gave you a a recording of How to Succeed of, um, of a little bit of coffee break yeah. from when mm-hmm. I did it in Seattle. And uh, when we had done it, uh, the director, Bill Berry, said, you know, I want this sound to be a little less, you know, sappy and sentimental, really kind of, dig into the big band element so we didn't have any strings at all and uh, a seattle-based uh, composer and orchestrator named bruce monroe uh reorchestrated the entire score you know based on some of the original parts uh and then because we were taking that step it allowed us to let the, the rest of the score breathe a little bit mm-hmm. i wrote a couple uh transitions and then i wrote um a big dance break for coffee break which ended up getting pared down in previews and <laughs> uh but uh, you know having that uh a, a score that uh, isn't necessarily locked in um, gave us that ability. And, you know, not every theater can do that. Uh, the Fifth Avenue Theater has had 
I don't know how many shows transferred to Broadway, including, you know, you know, Shrek and Aladdin and uh, Motown and, uh, cool. you know, a whole bunch of other stuff. So they have a rapport with these licensing companies and the composers and the estates to, you know, to give them some latitude, you know. Not every high school can just, you know, right. change, you know, <laughs> shows willy-nilly. Um, but, you know, when you're in a place that has that rapport with the, uh, um, with the creators, they, they'll give you a chance, uh, you know, especially if it's breathing some new life, whether it means the, you know, the fiasco version of uh, Into the Woods that did just the piano or this uh, recent uh, revival in London uh, with Company that had a female Bobby or oh, you know, I didn't even hear about that. That's yeah. Cool. With, you know, uh, Sondheim was resistant for a long time, and he finally uh, said, "Let's do it." And apparently, it got really great reviews. Awesome. So. Next, we've got a somewhat longer improvisation to share with you. This one is expansive and lyrical, and mostly consonant, and creates a really lovely atmosphere. It was really fun existing in and creating this space while we were playing, but I think this is a piece that's actually just as enjoyable to listen to as it was to create, which is certainly not always the case with free improvisation. I played flute on this one, Dan played piano, and Dave played djembe.
can you talk a little bit about um, two, two sort of two things probably at the same time? How did you get your start? Where, you know, I, I met you when you were already an impressively good musician, but I don't really know what happened and how you got to that point. Did you start uh, with piano, and when did that happen? Or yeah, what? Um, well, I have a sister who's just over three years older than I am, and when she was about six, uh, her best friend uh, was this girl named Maxine Ginsburg, whose mother was a piano teacher. So she started taking piano lessons with Maxine's mom, and, you know, being that I was three, I would have to go along for the ride and, you know, kind of sit next to the piano or on the couch or wherever while she was having her lessons. And I just soaked up everything. I just was obsessed with it. And I would go home and try and, like, figure out the music that she was assigned for the week. And Sarah was like, Mom, dance playing my music. So, you know, my mom's like, oh, well, maybe we can get him lessons. And so, you know, uh, at the time, like, I'm not teaching a three-year-old. This is stupid. And so I, I, exactly. And, uh, you know, by the time I, I turned four, uh, you know, we had pestered her enough. So I started with her and then she actually moved away and I was, uh, Aww, given, don't, don't take offense to that. No, no, no. It probably wasn't because of you. No, no, no. <laughs> but then I started with another teacher who then kind of recommended me to a, a different person. So, um, anyway, I, I started out as a pianist and, you know, kind of, as a combination of playing by ear and, uh, um, you know, reading. And, you know, I got, I think probably a standard classical training, but at this, you know, what happened simultaneously was that, uh, when I was six years old, I did my first onstage role, uh, with my family in a JCC production of, uh, Fiddler on the Roof. And then, you know, a couple years later I did a production of Oliver and then, you know, uh, uh, Children of Eden and uh, Annie and a whole bunch of others. And by the time I had gotten through um, high school, I had done, you know, a few dozen stage shows. And the, when I was 10 years old, those paths kind of intersected. And uh, this is kind of a whole story unto itself. But um, long story short, I ended up being the unlikely accompanist of a children's production of Snow White when I was 10. And oh. it went uh, well. And I then started playing other, mostly children's theater shows, but then it turned into com- other community theater shows. I, um, I started uh, uh, playing the high, uh, in the pit of not my high school, but the neighboring Reading High, which was actually a lot bigger with a much bigger program. And I did three years uh, Chicago Little Shop in the Wiz, you know, as their um, rehearsal companist and, uh, you know, uh, key one player. And then, you know, my last couple years of high school, I uh, started kind of music directing outright full musicals at uh, local amateur groups. I did a production of You're in Town, uh, Jesus Christ Superstar, um, The Who's Tommy. And uh, at this theater where I was doing most of the work, um, we had put together a 35th anniversary concert um, because the theater was uh, formed in 71. And what I didn't know was that the person who founded the theater, this is called Genesis Theater in Reading, Pennsylvania, um, the the co-founder of this theater is a man named Michael O'Flaherty, who since 1993, I think, has been the resident music director of this Goodspeed Opera House, uh, where I... You know, so, have, that yeah. so that was the connection. I didn't know him growing up. I didn't realize that we were from the same hometown. Uh, he went to Wilson High School, if anyone is from Berks County. Um, but... Uh, you know, he came back to 
to do this concert and sing a song or two, but I, I had music directed the rest of the concert. And he's like, oh, you know, who's this kid, you know, who's kind of doing some good work with my theater? Uh, why don't you come up for a summer? So I was already at uh, Westchester for a year, um, after which I, I went the summer after my freshman year to kind of intern with him. And so I did high button shoes at the main stage and I uh, did a lot of the kind of music department grunt work, uh, a lot of the f- finale copyist work. And I was not good at finale then. Uh, but so I really kind of had a crash course because I, I had to input so like just the sheer v- volume yeah. of music uh, in a theatrical context forces you to get really proficient at finale. And I say finale and not a music notation software because uh, <laughs> as far as musical theater goes, no one except uh, the Brits use uh, Sibelius uh, sure. just because you know, finale was first and uh as musical, everyone learned it already yeah musical yeah. theater you know uh kind of jumped on it uh really early um so i got really good at finale and uh i played a uh, second keyboard for a couple of their shows in the at the main opera house and then i was the assistant music director for um they have a developmental space called the norma terrace theater and that's just i think the terrace theater um, which is where I'm doing the Christmas Carol now. Um, but we did a musical version of Happy Days with a score by Paul Williams, you know, who wrote uh, all the Carpenter songs and the Rainbow oh. Connection and Evergreen. Oh. And so he was there the entire summer, which was awesome. <laughs> uh, and John McDaniel was the music director or supervisor, rather, who was uh, the band leader on Rosie O'Donnell's show, oh, who yeah. I watched every day yeah. uh, after school with my sister. <laughs> so that was a dream, you know. Uh, and But the thing was, you know... I did all this not because I knew that's what I wanted to do. I kind of did it because I thought it'd be fun and I didn't have any other summer plans. But then I'm like, all right, back to Westchester because I'm going to be a high school choir director. And <laughs> because that's, you know, I, I always, that's just because the I, path seems so narrow yeah. when you're in it, like mm-hmm. in that training set, you know, and it's, setting. Yeah, and it's funny, like I, I did well in high school and, you know, some people have asked, you know, like what, what sold me on Westchester and, you know, I mean, obviously it's, it's a great music school and it, uh, but I wanted to be a choir director and it had the music education program was so important to me. And, uh, um, I had my interview with, uh, Dr. Sprinkle, uh, (laughs) uh, um, anyway, uh, and he really sold it for me. And a lot of the other kind of fancier schools didn't have education programs. And, uh, you know, my cousin, Josh, who's also a musician, is kind of one of the role model mentors, you know, in my life. And he went to Columbia for music. And, you know, as he was finishing up, I was kind of starting up. And, you know, I I just, uh, I don't know if it's, you know, family pressure uh, among, like, you need to have something that has more of a firm, you know, job behind yeah, it. Yeah. So I'm like, that's why I didn't even bother auditioning. I had one reach school. It was Oberlin because they had a really good music education program. And I think I got into the school, but not the conservatory or uh, something. You know, I didn't get exactly the the program that I wanted to. So I ended Mm -hmm. up settling for uh, Westchester, which was a great decision for me. But I think you get out as much as you want to from that school. Mm-hmm. If you, yeah. you put in yeah, the I mean, actual work. And... The, I mean, the faculty, like uh, we were just talking, Randy, one of our vocal uh, professors, yeah, just got a nomination for a Grammy for best uh, classical. Oh. Did he, oh. Uh, for him for... doing Vinterisa. Oh, okay. I, yeah. Awesome. So, uh, you know, and, every, you know, the, the, all my professors, I, I feel like, you know, just were really fantastic. So if you put in the work, yeah, yeah. 
I yeah. agree. You can get a conservative conservatory quality education there for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, did you stick that out and graduate with an education degree? I did. I wow. I had a, <laughs> good on you. I was I was so <laughs> blunt. Like even after I finished, it was like I was. I think it was just because I was lazy that I didn't uh, go and really pursue. Uh, oh, I'm sure that's probably Chrissy calling me. It wasn't. He didn't answer it. Also, this isn't actually Dan's ringtone. Back to the show. So uh, we, we were talking about sticking it out, and like you, you made it through methods. I was an education major for two and a half oh, years. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I, I had methods. I had a really great um, um, placement in both my education or my uh, elementary and secondary education student teaching settings. I still keep in touch with some of my old students and my kind of cooperating teachers. But uh, it was just because I was too lazy to find an actual teaching job. And, you know, my, the people at, at Goodspeed kind of floated this idea. It's like, if you want to come back. And I'm like, mm, maybe. <laughs> and it's like, maybe I'll push it off a year. And then maybe I'll push it off two years. And maybe now I can actually have a future in this and not have to worry about all the, uh, you know, the hoops to jump through and of academia. And, you know, my sister's a teacher. My mom works in education. And, you know, he, they they both like their jobs. But, uh, you know, I hear a lot of things surrounding their jobs yeah. with uh, it's like, I don't want to deal with that. Poli- <laughs> the politics of teaching. Exactly. Yeah. And I and now I, I still have the opportunity to do some, you know, to work with students when I can and, uh, you know, run some workshops or master classes or, you know, and, and then and it's kind of it's easy to scratch. <laughs> yeah. It's not. Yeah. doesn't need to be every day. Exactly. Our next improv is very different from the last, both in terms of instrumentation and character. I stayed on flute for this one, but Dan switched over to slide whistle, and Dave played on a tin can, a washboard tie, flasks filled with water, and an emergency heat blanket. The result is wonderfully, ridiculously quirky, and I think you can tell that we had a lot of fun exploring the different textural possibilities and ways to complement one another's respective sounds in this one.
I wanted to also talk a little bit specifically about the piano mm-hmm. and, and get your thoughts on this because uh, we, we, I brought this up to Robert Dick too. And I, and I think some instruments are better than others mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'll stand by that. Um, like objectively better than uh, others. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> okay. Like, like the flute, I sort of think is objectively better than a lot of other wind instruments just because of the, the range of possibilities you can get on it. I'm mm-hmm. obviously biased. I, I realize that, but, yeah, yeah. but I, but I think piano is another one that it just, I mean, it, it it's got staying power for a reason, and, and it's so versatile, and you get such a complete picture of what's going on in basically whatever you're playing mm-hmm. um, that I really think it is, is one, of the, one of the best instruments. Do you agree? Yeah, I mean, because as someone who kind of learned to play by ear, uh, there's you know, anything that I hear, unless it's like some really strange modern soundscape type thing, you can create a facsimile on the piano. And, you know, even in the context of musical theater, you know, uh, you'll have your, you know, key one book to play, you know, if there, if it's scored for piano, but almost every score has a piano conductor version or for a rehearsal piano version, you know? So, you know, they take all the information and kind of filter it down to a piano reduction. And that's kind of how I hear music. You know, I'm, I'll be hearing something on the radio and I'm picturing what my left hand would be doing or, you know, it's almost like even a tactile, like, uh, impulse, you know, I hear something (laughs) and I, I feel what my right hand would be playing, Yeah. you know, and if you were playing, you know, a saxophone, you know, you might be able to, you know, hear what lick you would put superimpose on top of it. But, you know, there is no macroscopic view. Yeah. You know, yeah, and really interesting. I think if you were to, I, I would like to scan your brain and scan my brain. I feel like they would look completely different. Like you've got just different connections mm-hmm. in there from your music. And, you know, I think it's like similar to, you know, to, to someone who plays, but you both play bass, you know, you're, you kind of listen to something through a, uh, a lens of, you know, what's the baseline doing? How do this, uh, how do these harmonies kind of function and live on top of what I'm playing, Yeah. you know, and, you know, as a pianist, I deal with that too, but, you know, usually a, you know, in a simpler format, you know, cause I have other stuff to worry about, but <laughs> Yeah, that's something that that sort of uh, opened up my ears too when I started playing drums. Mm-hmm. And like, not that I didn't listen to the drums before, but just to to get more of a sense of exactly how they're doing what they're doing, and yeah. then to hear something and be like, "Holy shit, I have no idea how he's doing that." Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is uh, yeah, it's that was a nice nice experience. And and as I learned other instruments, that sort of and it's funny made me uh, listen more intently. What actually kind of made me realize this is when i started doing piano bar gigs because you know while i was up in at the theater in connecticut um i kind of supplemented my my weekly whatever with uh two two bar gigs one on a tuesday night one on a sunday night and you know i would get requests and you know most of the you know, classic rock canon is not piano based unless you're doing you know a billy joel or elton john tune or, or you know a couple other ones uh, so it's like, how do I distill that information to the piano? You know, how do I, uh, you know, capture get... it the best? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, there was very rarely a process where I like sat and figured out a tune. It was just kind of like listening to it a whole bunch and then just kind of dicking around and, and it's like, oh, well that kind of works. And, yep. <laughs> and you just kind of train yourself to, to process it and then, you know, shoot it out. Um, you know, because I started playing piano so, so early, you know, I feel like there's a, a very strong connection between how my brain works and how it spits out into my fingers. Mm-hmm. You know, 
is that part of how you arrange? I mean, you, you arrange at the piano and, mm-hmm. and pick things out and yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and so anytime that uh, you know I can translate what I'm arranging either through the lens of a piano or you know as my impulse as a singer you know because i do you know i've done a lot of uh choral singing and uh you know not too much solo singing but um you know i i'm very sensitive in terms of bad voice leading you know so i try and you know when i'm doing these you know either whether it was the the brass quintet thing that i did or uh, some of these other uh vocal ensemble things you know i try and go through each line after i find out the voicings that i like and it's like are all of these you know workable and if if not i'll try and find another way around it yeah cool that's i I feel like inevitably my hands just like especially at well not just at the piano but no matter what instrument i'm at Mm mm-hmm like you could boil down all of my playing to like, oh, that's a drummer playing an instrument. Oh, really? <laughs> it's like, oh, that's a drummer playing piano. That's a drummer <laughs> playing the bass. Like, and I, I think I feel more at home even on the bass than I do on most percussion instruments. Mm-hmm. But I play the bass like a drummer. Like, it's far more like the James Jamerson. Like, <laughs> it's it's the pocket and the groove first, and then you know after that, then it's like, oh, so what's the harmony now? What am I going to be doing <laughs> during this time? It's like when I play the piano, the last thought I think about is like, what melody could I put over this? Well, even as composer, <laughs> Dave, like one, some of the stuff that I've really loved the most that you've done is uh, your like music concrete stuff. And the thing I like about it is how you've made all the different pieces so rhythmic in how you've put them together. So, yeah, you, you know, you have all these independent elements and then you put them together as a drummer, yeah. you, know, to, you know, to create, you know, what's this, you know, what's the groove that I'm establishing? What's the, you know, it, it it's neat how we kind of go back into our corners, uh, um, whether that's the flute or the piano or the, or the drums. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, can we talk a little bit about the work that you didn't mention, your projects that you didn't mention earlier, like uh, Pardo's Turn and, and your Limerick yeah. project, which oh, I'm sh- a huge fan oh, of. Oh, sure. <laughs> um, so uh, Pardo's Turn is an ongoing web series through YouTube that I've uh, established since June 6th. June 6th is my first episode uh, with the great Tony Award winner, Chuck Cooper. And uh, it started out a couple weeks prior. I was kind of at a job interview for um, this place called The Growing Studio where, where I music direct uh, kind of classes and uh, um, accompany other kind of master classes or sessions. And they asked me where I wanted to be in five years, you know, as most places do. And mm-hmm. like, oh, I want to be conducting a Broadway show or whatever. And they said, what are you doing to get there? Mm. And I had a, I didn't have a good answer. I'm like, um, well, I'm music directing regionally and i got a good review and <laughs> hopefully people will recognize like, it was yeah. just a really shitty answer so I, I i took a step back and i i thought to myself what can i do to get back you know on broadway or or get working with the the people who i need to be working with in order to you know be approached for these projects so i you know i said you know obviously one thing that you can do is kind of shadow the people in the pit and there are people who are really great at that kind of networking i'm okay i'm not i'm not the best i'm not the worst um but one thing i have done especially working at at the um you know at the opera house for for more than three full seasons 
is having a roster of really fantastic Broadway uh, singers, you know, who and performers, uh, you know, who I've become friendly with. And uh, it's it's the idea of sh- of aiming up, you know, you, you know, you, you as composers want to get some really established performers to play your music. Right. You know, you were just talking about it's like, oh, well, if if Randy gets this Grammy Award, then, you know, he <laughs> I have a Grammy Award winner, you know, singing my piece. And, you know, so similarly, I thought, you know, if I can get these really fantastic Broadway personalities, you know, who are generous enough with their time and talent to go on my show, you know, it, it brings me, they bring me closer to where they are. And it was just a way of kind of going back in the direction of professional New York theater rather than kind of going elsewhere and disseminating what I've learned, uh, you know, down to people who know less than what, what I do. So, um, last summer I was, uh, um, in addition to conducting company, I was also the music director for an initiative called the uh, Musical Theater Conservatory at uh, at Barrington, mostly with uh, college-age students uh, who understudied the various uh, roles in the main stage shows. Uh, and then during the day, we had some classes. And uh, one of the classes that I kind of uh, established was you know, just kind of taking... Uh, it was kind of performance-based. They would go and sing a song from their book. And, they, and then we would work on it. And one of the things that I kind of emphasized was what musical clues are, is the composer giving you? You know, what is, uh, what's this song saying, not in terms of its lyric, but in its music? You know, what does the melody say about what this character wants? What does this harmonization imply? You know, what, you know, when, when the rhythm kind of, uh, has a, a chord that, you know, cuts off suddenly why is you know there's a reason for most of these things especially in some of the older musical theater songs that aren't as pop based because you know a, a lot there's some really smart pop writing uh now you know but uh it's a more think, rigid framework exactly yeah. so I, I um anyway it was just these types of conversations that i i got a sense that weren't being discussed in their conservatory programs that they were uh you know that they were studying in so i said you know well not many people are talking about this element of uh, um, of song study and song analysis. So let's get these great people to come on and sing a song of their choosing. So they would have, you know, a baseline to to talk about it with uh, some authority and uh, a, you know a personal frame of reference. I would front load the episode with uh, my own kind of perspective from a music director's standpoint. Mm-hmm. And then we would just chat and have a good time and perform it really kind of nice and casually. And it's really taken off. I've been so lucky uh, with the caliber of people who came on and the quality of the conversations that we've had and the the kind responses that I've gotten. So uh, it's been great. I yeah. really enjoy it. it, it it's so much fun. I, I don't... It, musicals aren't something i seek out on a daily basis mm-hmm. but really enjoyed every episode of your show and like especially the analysis uh, you know i don't know obviously you don't know what the composer was thinking i don't know right. what the composer yeah. was thinking but pretty much everything you say i buy it like yeah, and, and <laughs> it, it makes a lot of sense you know, i was i was doing uh i was playing a master class over the summer when i was at weston um and uh uh, the composer Andrew Lippa, who did the Wild Party, and he wrote some songs for Your Good Man Charlie Brown, and uh, uh, Big Fish is his musical. You know, really well established guy. Um, his partner was uh, one of the reed players uh, in the pit uh, for um, 
West Side Story, that which was playing at our at our main stage. I was at the second stage, and so he just kind of was there for the summer of, as a writing retreat while his you know while his partner was uh, in the pit, and so you know we recruited him to do a master class with some of our uh, with some kids, and we were talking about this very thing, and he said, you know, it's not your job as an interpreter to know what the composer was thinking. Your job is to create something that makes sense for you, mm. and you know, and that's it. So like whether or not. I'm right if I can back it up or if I can sell it. if I can sell yeah. it in a yeah. way that makes sense and that's convincing you know like well, can you strike a vein of some right, those universal truths that it yeah, yeah it, 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 it just gives you a perspective and I think as actors you know the more specific you can be the more convincing you can be um, yeah. so it's been a lot of fun and uh, I've been able to kind of lead into some fun tangential uh, conversations. Um, next week, I'm meeting with uh, my friend Eric Uyoa, who, in addition to being a performer, is also a playwright. Uh, he's done the book for a couple uh, musicals in development and also a play called 26 Pebbles about the Sandy Hook Massacre. So he's really well connected in, in, uh, to that uh uh, to those people in that community and that legislation. He's actually done a lot of activism, uh, you know, about gun violence. And so we're going to be doing the gun song from assassins and, oh. and kind of use that as a launch pad to talk about uh, uh, American gun culture and how it relates to musical theater and so and shows like Annie, get your gun and assassins and West side story. And, you know, uh, <clears throat> it's uh, so, so it should be a fun That's discussion. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Really cool. Um, how, how long are your sessions normally for Pardo's turn? You, you know, I know you boil it down to about 15 minutes. They're about 15 minutes, in, um, but we talk usually about a half hour. I rent the rooms for an hour. I usually use them for about you know, 45. If I have the analysis ready to go, sometimes I'll record it that day. Otherwise, I'll just do it uh, mm-hmm. um, you know, at home or wherever. Uh, and where we are now in my friend Barb's apartment, uh, you know, shout out to Barb, by the way, thank you, Dan. Thank you, Barb. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Fantastic space. She's been so generous. Uh, and so we've done a whole bunch of, uh, sessions here at her, uh, lovely home. So, uh, why do you record anywhere else? I know, right? (laughs) It's, yeah, yeah. it's great. Lovely view, lovely piano. Five stars. (laughs) We gave ourselves a little more to go on for this next improvisation. We decided to pick a word and a key for inspiration. We settled on clusterfuck in D minor. Dave returns to djembe and percussion. Dan sits back at the piano and I stayed on flute. It took on an ABA form featuring two wildly explosive 6-8 passages that bookend a more relaxed middle section.
there's one thing that I wanted to make sure we asked, and I know this is a little boilerplate, but mm-hmm. I feel like uh, this is something I don't know about you necessarily, and I'm curious. What is your like, um, your dream show or dream shows that you would love more than anything to direct one day? I know uh, you like to create ones from scratch as well and help yeah, bring them um, up. Uh, <laughs> Whichever I mean, of Eli's ends up being his greatest masterwork, yeah, right? that's going to be the, yeah. <laughs> no, it's uh, you know, shout out to my friend Eli Bolin, who I've been uh, kind of a partner with as a transcriptionist and arranger. Uh, I've done two of his kind of more ch- children family shows that are produced through Theatre Works USA um, based on the children's book series skippy john jones so uh those were both a lot of fun um we did a show called found uh off broadway at the atlantic theater and then in in philly at the philadelphia theater company which was just so great um based on found texts um they they, you know there's a whole magazine called found magazine where people like find to get it oh really (laughs) yeah so it's a whole musical about uh davy rothbart and uh you know the the creation of that and a lot of the songs use the found materials as the text inspiration um either verbatim or you know uh inspired by um, and then we just did another kind of a mus- original musical in Toronto called Wally Flynn. That's a kind of really heartfelt uh, family story. Um, you know, obviously, I, w- I would it would be a dream to to music direct one of his shows just because he's become such a brother to me. Um, but you know, one of the classics. Uh, I I know the show uh, is often viewed as problematic, but uh, you know, Carousel is probably one of my favorite scores. I just hear that first th- four bars of the the waltz, and I I'm just sold you know i'm just ready to go for the entire two plus hour ride (laughs) um i don't know some of my other favorite shows uh you're in town i love uh, i think it's just so brilliant and fun fun and it's one of the earliest ones i had the chance to music direct as an amateur so it holds a special place for me uh the most happy fella i just think is one of the most beautiful stories you know because it's one of the rare shows that has to do with the theme of forgiveness which to me is so powerful um i don't know i'm i i think anytime you work on the show you really come to love it and you really find things that make it special um and oh, I think great. That means you're doing it right. That's a test of a really great show. You know, anything that has diminishing returns, the more you play it, the more you see it. Um, you know, and, and maybe that's just me as a personality kind of, I, I just kind of try and latch on and find the positive because I know I'm in for the ride regardless, you know, <laughs> and I'd rather enjoy it. Uh, but you know, I think if you can play a score every day and find a new thing to love about it, that's, you know, that's the real mark of, uh, of a great piece of work. Well, what did Nelly say yesterday? Uh, joy is one of the best forms of resistance. Oh yeah. <laughs> Limericks are another one. So let's talk about yes. that. I love your limericks. <laughs> yes. Quite the transition. What are you going to do when you're done with, when, when either he is, you know, out or. All right. So we're referring to some, uh, some poli- <laughs> I would love, to, uh, people have been asking, uh, you know, if I'm going to put these in the book, I'd love to put them in the book. Got um, you. I, yeah. uh, I since February I think it's February twelfth, two thousand seventeen. It was my first one. It started out uh actually a friend of mine, um his name is Kirk uh Lawrence. Kirk Lawrence, uh a friend of mine from local community theater back in Reading, wrote a limerick about you know, about Trump 
And then I'm like, oh, that's fun. So I kind of wrote a reply. And, and then for about a month, we were, we were kind of keeping each other honest and, and writing one a day. And he kind of, uh, you know, bowed out. And, <laughs> and I kind of, you know, took it on. And it hasn't quite been every day. Uh, on times where I'm a little lax, I've tried to respond by having a two or three verse yeah, one a couple days a later. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's it's been a way to keep me politically engaged and informed and, you know, just let out some of the frustration and the emotions. I've, you know, I never thought um, that I'd have to write about Nazis or about, um, you know, serious repeated gun violence without any uh, uh, changes in policy or posture. I've never thought I had to, you know, <laughs> write about uh, a president of the United States uh, uh, accused of serious, you know, sexual uh, um, transgressions or uh, treason with other foreign <laughs> adversaries. I mean, the good thing about it is it's, it's, you know, there's never a shortage of material to write about. And, and some of the ones are kind of shorter and uh, uh, I wish I might, I guess I could bring it up. So I, I started the medium page. It's called limericks of resistance on medium uh, a while back. And I also post them to, to Twitter and, and Facebook. Um, the good thing about Twitter going from 140 characters to 280 characters selfishly is that now I can put a full limerick without, you know, because before nice. I had to like screenshot it and link it because, you know, it's mm-hmm. on, in the middle of the, the last line. I always ran out of characters. <laughs> I don't know if, if you care to hear one or two on Absolutely. the air. Yeah, sure. Hell yeah. I just think that must've been so frustrating. Especially the, like the image. File. Okay, so th- this is one. Um, th- it's a shorter, more comic one, uh, having to do with uh, the weekend's uh, Mueller investigation, which kind of came to a bit of a head. Mueller's keeping things close to the vest, which has led to each plea and arrest. Much like Maury's reply, he starts, That was a lie. What comes next? Trump's paternity test? <laughs> so, nice. not much. Uh, biting there this one is probably how i'll move you know um a lot of what has inspired the limericks is the polarization of our country and how you know the further one goes to the right you know the 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 farther we have to kind of counteract it and i think rightfully so we can't just have a country that keeps moving closer and closer to policy that doesn't agree with us um but in the process we've kind of either lionized uh people or wanted their heads on the pike and, you know, for the most part, especially of our elder statesmen who are, who are going, you know, fall somewhere in the middle. And this is uh, in response to Bush 41 uh, and his uh, death this week. So I said, in these times of great polarization, Poppy Bush brought some grace to the nation, was a mixed bag of sorts with some nasty cohorts, but his service deserves a citation. Can't excuse how he mishandled AIDS. Iran-Contra, our memory fades. But his gentle demeanor made statesmanship cleaner, and kindness, he had it in spades. So reject the broad brush when we paint. Most are neither a devil nor saint. If we focus on facts, not the stuff that attracts clickbait stories, there'll be no complaint. That's great. Nice. Yeah. That's anyway, awesome. so that's that's the limericks of resistance. Well, if Keep this helps at all, I definitely think I, I would I would strongly encourage you to you know put them out once they're all done. Yeah, and, and like and in some sort of 
and I guess I'm just kind of waiting because what I can't stand is like I'm a big Simpsons fan and like I had the whole like book that was like the definitive Simpsons Uh book (laughs) and then it keeps on coming out with seasons it's like so now it's like Simpsons and Simpsons forever then Simpsons beyond forever then Simpsons one step beyond forever it's like just wait and then make a book (laughs) anyway so I'm gonna wait and then make a book I'm glad I cannot wait to read the final limerick when it's about oh. celebratory good riddance oh, to man. I, like just... that uh, <laughs> it'll either be that or about I can finally stop writing these limericks. <laughs> and it's funny, I like you can only come up with so many rhymes, especially the ones that have the three parts. You know, so I'm I'm starting to go into these cycles like have I I'm swear I've written this limerick before. <laughs> and it just <laughs> it's yeah. kind of like I swear I've heard this news article right. already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. How many times does it repeat? We're going to end today's episode with what's actually the first piece we improvised together. This one features myself on flute, Dan on piano, and Dave on djembe. It begins with a delicate, contemplative scene that gradually develops into a bit of a funky groove.
You're uh, one of our, our, our bigger fans, I think. Mm-hmm. You've yes. listened to a bunch of our episodes, right? Yeah, I've listened, I, think at, I think I'm all caught up with all of them. Sweet. Do you th- have any ideas of how we can make our show better? Oh, um, I mean, obviously the quality of guests uh, you know, has been uh, great and continues to move forward. This was, uh, I think I can speak for everybody, that uh, uh, Robert and Nelly were just two awesome yeah, uh, grabs. Yeah. <laughs> um, maybe uh, just, uh, I, I like how it's so diverse. Uh, you know, you had... Uh, you know, your one friend who kind of was from your like punk rock days and then, mm-hmm. you know, some of your cl- more classical collaborators and then uh, the woman a couple of weeks ago or a couple like a month or two yeah. ago who went to the improv convention. And, you know, so a lot of her stuff was a lot different, um, you know, kind of finding ways uh, to keep the format the same and keep the content kind of fresh. I, I, mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, but I mean, it's always a, it's always a fun listen. I, whenever, whenever I have a, like a long drive going back and forth from Connecticut or something like, Oh, it'd be a great time to, to catch up with Sean and Dave. Um, are there any segments that you would love to hear us do on future episodes? (laughs) Maybe that's it. Like, uh, I, I'm not a huge podcaster, but I think, um, having maybe like, it doesn't even have to be as formal as naming a section, but like, the having something that you could look forward to or, you know, something that you could slot in, even if it's not necessarily every episode, you know, kind of like how, you know, when I used to watch Jay Leno, it's like, Oh, it's headlines, you know, that's always, you know, to to have something (laughs) that, you know, very quickly you can kind of, um, get the picture of what the format's going to be, or, or like when I used to watch uh, Who's Line, and it's like, oh, they're doing the hoedown, or, 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 or yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. you know, totally. a, a sketch that you like, or you know, a format of improvisation uh, that's novel and fun. Like even if it's something with, uh, you know, you were talking about how you how you had a fortune teller, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, oh, this is a fortune teller one, you know, yeah, yeah. so you can set up the parameters in a, in a fun novel way. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's a great idea. You could be maybe like a like to make a pressure cooker element, to, or like you know, like the nobody can see what I'm doing right now. <laughs> uh, but uh, like, could add a fun element of like working against the clock. Is if we could set something up where like we just get a ping noise happening every twenty or thirty seconds, and we just quick knock out like. Like, you know, it'd be like five in a row, like quickly, like as varied as you can. Oh. Totally different miniature. It pings in a totally different miniature. Yeah. Some, some mm-hmm. game or something. Cool. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. No, but just keep it coming. Great. Yeah. We will. Found. Uh, this part, I, well, we could put it in the episode or not, but I just wanted to say thank you for the record. Uh, Dan sent our first official piece of fan mail. Oh, yes. he Yeah. He sent me, this was a while back now, you, you sent me uh, a box of pencils, the Magic Writers, and now I can't live without them. Because you heard that I love the Ticonderogas. You have converted me. Okay, good. Yeah. yeah. So this 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 actually goes back to um, my days at Goodspeed. My mentor, Michael O'Flaherty, who talked about people who kind of didn't go through a master's program. He, he dropped out of Eastman undergrad and, and basically learned what it was like, uh, you know, in New York, just pounding the pavement. Awesome. So my mentor, Michael, um, you know, writes everything uh, by hand. Uh, he's a composer, too. He actually wrote the score to this Christmas carol that I'm conducting now. And uh, the only pencil that he will write are these Pacific Music <laughs> Writers Corporation, which he special orders by the box. They're like a black, uh, it's like a black, kind of soft lead um but it writes really smooth especially mm-hmm. on uh on staff paper and it has kind of an affixed um 
a pencil top eraser that's really good and it's just it's a dream great. and yeah. when i heard that dave you know prefers to to write longhand i'm like this is what i need to get him <laughs> yeah so. that's great well, so you... tell me what you want sean and you know <laughs> Well, you know, I I used to collect fine pens, <laughs> expensive, expensive pens. Okay, well, uh... then I started collecting instruments instead, and that fell off. Mm-hmm. But uh, the pens I usually, if I, if I need to buy a new pen, it's usually like one of those, um, like the bottle one that comes from a recycled bottle. They write really smooth. Oh, I, I so don't, I don't he, he'd like you to send him a bass flute. Okay, that, that's... oh yeah, yeah, I'll take a bass flute, please. <laughs> I Contra, heard, if you can swing it. I, I heard Robert has one uh, that. You know, did, oh, yeah, we did, well, yeah, we didn't get to use the Contra. That uh, no, he, yeah, he owns he, one though. He, he, yeah. yeah, he does. Yeah. But he he brought his bass. And I don't his understand. Like, like regular flutes are like forty thousand. Like, I don't know. It's just so much material. Like, do they? Uh, yeah, like a yeah. contraba- like a cheap contrabass flute. Goes for maybe ten to fifteen thousand, something like that. Yeah. I, I, did, oh, I didn't even want to ask what his <laughs> what his cost. Like but, the solid I mean, I'm sure goals. He plays on the best. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I actually had my first contrabass flute experience a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. I played with the Westchester, Westchester. flute ensemble, uh, flute alumni, uh-huh. flute ensemble alumni, alumni flute ensemble concert. There you go. And, uh, Did Dr. Riley uh, run that? Or? Yeah, okay. but it was just like a, we get together and we, we had one rehearsal right before the concert and played the concert. Cool. And so they were like, we need people for low flutes. Like, does anyone want to play contra? And I was like, I've never touched one, but I'm game to try. Cool. Was the embouchure a lot different? Or <laughs> Yes, it was, it was really hard to play, especially in the low register. I mean, you've got so much tubing to get mm-hmm. those notes, so I really wish I could get some more power there. But yeah. Like all the all the parts, since it's it is the thing trying to like provide the bass for the ensemble. Everything was like low C's and low B flats, uh-huh. and, or yeah. low C's and low low uh, D's, and it was just really difficult to get them out. But it worked okay. Some of them came out. <laughs> it's fun. So anyway, that, I think that wraps it up. Yeah. Uh, thank you again. Thank you so oh, much. Sure. And we will continue to uh, follow each other's work. I'm sure. All right. Thanks, guys. And thank you for listening to Sean and Dave Make Music. If you like what you heard today, please head over to danpardo.com to find out more about Dan and his numerous projects and to hear more of his playing. Make sure you also check out and subscribe to his YouTube show, Pardo's Turn, which I'll have links to in the show notes. And as always, if you like our show, please be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share with your friends and colleagues if you think they might be into what we do. If you have any questions or comments or would like to submit a prompt for us to improvise off of, please send us an email at seananddavemakemusic at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash seananddavemakemusic. For both of those, you've got to spell out the and, A-N-D. It's not an ampersand like in our logo. One more quick note of thanks. As I said up top, this was the final episode from our New York City recording session in December, and we've got to give another huge thank you to Barb for letting us use her gorgeous space to make this happen. I said it before, but I think it bears repeating. Beautiful piano, beautiful view. It was a five-star experience, and I hope we can come back sometime. And one final teaser for those of you who are still listening past the plugs. Uh, we'll, we will eventually, hopefully sometime this year, be doing a crossover episode with my other podcast, Not Movies. We talked a little bit about my idea with Nellie McKay a couple episodes ago, but basically we're going to try a format similar to The Great British Bake Off, but with music making. You can hear a little bit more about it on Not Movies episode 91, The Great Music Make Off. 
Also, I'm just realizing that I probably haven't ever really plugged Not Movies here, so I'll go ahead and do that more generally. Uh, Not Movies is a podcast that I've been doing with my wife Summer and my friend Eric since late 2015. Each episode, we come up with an idea and a basic structure for a movie or TV show that doesn't exist yet. Dave was our guest on episodes 69 and 70, so those might be good ones to check out if you're interested, or just jump in on whatever episode catches your eye. Just fair warning, though, that show is a lot more silly and ridiculous than this one, so be prepared for that. Uh, I think uh, you might not learn anything, but it's a lot of fun. Thanks again for listening this month. We'll see you next time. Bye. (laughs) 